Before we start, should I tell you my new phone woes? Sure. Since you have half the story. So, since you can see, but I mean, you already know. There's my new phone. Wow, it looks exactly like mine. Yep, it's the same size as my old one, so it fits in the case. But I might still get a new case. Anyways, some of this you already know. But yesterday, yesterday was Sunday as we're recording, and I had purchased a new battery for my previous phone. My previous phone was an iPhone 8. Bought a new battery for it because around sometime in the middle of March, it started having issues where it would just restart on its own. Like it would shut off, go black, and then come back, like restart or whatever. And then sometimes it wouldn't restart and I would have to force restart. Anyways, I dealt with that for, what is it now, July? Is that four months, six months? I think it's four months. So I deal with that for four months, finally decide I'll put the $20 into buying an off-market battery because I did that on my previous phone on my 5, I think I had a 5. But I've done it before, so I know how to do it or at least have previous experience. And I know that I have the ability to do it. So I buy the battery. It showed up last Monday, I believe. And then last week was rather busy, so I waited until this weekend to install the battery. So get home on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, open up the phone, install the new battery, put it all back together, put it on the or turn it on, and the battery's at 50%, which is about what I expected, the new battery. So everything's working fine, and I put it on the charger. And I have it on the charger for a little while, and I'm like, well, I still want to do stuff on my phone, but I also want the battery to charge, so let me just use the phone while it's still on the charger. So I did that briefly, and then it shut off. And I thought, well, great. The problem did not solve itself by getting a new battery, so let me just turn this thing back on and we'll look at getting a new phone in the future. But it didn't turn back on at all. Try to force restart. It doesn't turn back on. So I leave it on the charger for a while and I'm like, well, this does not bode well. Do I go through the hassle of putting the old battery back in? And after... So this was like, it worked for like 15 minutes and then it shut off. That's that's how long it was working. After another, I don't know, half hour, hour, I decide let's go ahead and put the old battery back in and or hook the old battery back up because I'd already re-glued the other battery in. And we'll uh, see if we can get this thing back working because I need my phone for work. So in order to log in every morning, I need to have a code sent to my phone so I can log in. Plug the old battery in, turn the thing on, doesn't work. Replug the new battery, doesn't work. Go through, switch back and forth multiple times, and the phone is not turning on. And at this point, it's like 5 o'clock on a Sunday, and I am, like, hot angry with what's going on. Because the worst that I expect to ha- expected to happen was that the new battery wouldn't fix the problem I was having. I did not expect it to completely kill my phone. So, I'm 
not very happy. And at this point, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at this point, this is when I'm FaceTiming mom from my computer trying to get access to the Verizon account. For what? I'm not entirely sure. But I'm trying to get that figured out. And the only thing it wants to do is to text the verification code to my phone, which is not working. It's like, how is this the only option? Well, it turns out it wasn't the only option. I also could have had the password information mailed to me via U.S. mail. But the ha option of having it emailed to me is off the table. So I'm very upset at this point, and I decide, well, let's try getting a new phone then. Like, I need to have a phone in order to be able to work. So I go to the Target website, try getting the phone, like, get all checked out or whatever, and then I would just go pick it up. But as I put the phone into my basket, I realized it didn't ask me what my provider was. And I remember from last time, because I got my previous phone at Target, that you can't have, like, some phones don't work for multiple providers, like SIM cards don't fit or whatever. So I'm like, well, let's just go to Target and we'll pick up a new phone. Look to make sure that the Target that's close to me has the phone I want. It does. I go to Target. Stand in line while someone else asks a bunch of questions about a phone while clearly not being interested in purchasing a phone. So I'm standing there for five, ten minutes. And then finally I get up to the front of the line. I'm like, okay, I'm here to get a new phone. He's like, great, what's your provider? I say Verizon. He's like, oh, we don't do Verizon anymore. Apparently Verizon pulled out a Target like at the start of the COVID stuff. So if I'd taken care of this, or if I'd gotten a new phone right when this happened, I could have done it at Target, like right when it started acting up. But apparently not anymore. And again, now it's after 6 o'clock on Sunday evening. And there are no Verizon stores open close to me. And whether there are any open at all at after 6 on a Sunday. The guy also said you could check Best Buy. I don't know if they do Verizon anymore. And I didn't even have to get to Best Buy to tell that they were closed for the evening. Whether they're even open in the times we're in. So this is when I come home and I call you. And this is where you get to your foray into the story. So I call you because I don't have access to the Verizon account and I can't order a phone through our plan. So I call you. You get stuff figured out. We set it up so that I'll be able to pick it up Monday, today, morning, at some point whenever it's ready. So I do that. And then... Mom also works at the same place I work, so she was going to try and get the verification code for me to be able to log into work this morning. But she doesn't do it the same way I do it, and the code she was getting wasn't working for my system. So I was not able to start work on time this morning. So I email my supervisor, tell her I'm not going to be able to do or to start on time, waiting on a new phone, whatever. The phone is ready by, like, 9.15, 9.30 this morning. So I go over to the place, pick up the phone, works just fine. I did have to call mom while I was there to get a pin to put in for the uh, the whatever, the our plan or whatever, so I could pick up the phone. Because even though I'm a whatever registered main person. Account in the manager. Account, yeah, an account manager. So I could pick up the phone, but I didn't have the pin, so I couldn't pick up the phone until I had the pin. Anyways, get the pin, get the phone, and the guy sends me on my way. And this is the first time I've ever had where they didn't just set up my phone in the store while I was there. He's like, 
yeah, you'll be able to set up the thing, just go through the steps or whatever. So I get home and I start going through the steps and I get to the point where it says, like, download the backup from iCloud so that you're able to have all your stuff come back on your phone. But it's trying to text me the verification code. It's like my phone isn't activated yet. How are you going to text me a code when my phone isn't activated and my other phone doesn't turn on? So I'm getting back to a point where I'm getting hot again, and I'm trying to figure out how I can get this thing to send to my computer, because I also have an Apple computer, and it says that I can send to any of my Apple devices on such and such software. And it's not sent to my computer, can't figure out how to send it to my computer, can't get it to send to my phone, and it's, I don't know, an hour maybe of this, trying to get this thing set up, and frantically emailing both you and mom to try and get some sort of help. I don't even know what it would have been, because I don't think I could have texted you the code anyways. Finally, I end up driving back to the store, and the guy, like, like goes through this whole thing, gets me a new SIM card, and he's like, hopefully this is the problem, because if it's not, we're going to have to send you to a different store to get a new phone, a physical phone, because this is the last one that I have in the store of this type. So we go through the whole thing, get the new SIM card, and the new SIM card works finally. And it, like, downloads all my stuff, and we get it all set up at the store. And then I finally was able to get home and get into work at, like, noon instead of whenever I usually start. So I had... What was that? Not even 24 hours of just epic frustration with my phones, all leading to now I have a new phone that I didn't really want, but I had to upgrade so it works to get a new phone. And it's going to be cheaper than the one I got before. So there's that, but just frustrating. Yeah, I also had to get a new phone because the microphone on mine stopped working. Yeah, and I've replaced that stuff before, too. My previous phone was very Frankensteined by the end of its life. Yeah, but my story was basically, Hey, Mom, can you come get a new phone with me when you come down here? Yeah, sure. Hey, Mom, actually, my phone's not working. Ah, go to the Verizon store. The Verizon store is closed. Order it online. Show up at Verizon two hours later. I'd like my phone. Here you go. Thanks. But you didn't have any issues getting it activated? No, it took longer than I wanted it to, but... I mean, my other phone worked, it was just the microphone didn't work. Yeah. My previous phone, I replaced the battery and the... I guess it was the lightning port, which was also connected to either a microphone or speaker or headphone jack. I don't remember which. And then also I had to replace the screen because I shattered the screen. So I had multiple replacements on my last phone. This phone did not give me that much leeway. Survived for two and a half years. A little more than two and a half years. Yeah, I had mine for a little over three years. It still worked fine until the microphone stopped working. Yeah. It was a little slow, but it's what Apple does. 
Yeah, I'm very frustrated by both planned obsolescence and also design that does not allow for extended life. Like, I don't understand how two years became the standard. Like, there are things that freaking ancient people built that are still standing. Like, all this crazy stuff in the Middle East and in across the Roman Empire and whatever, in Egypt, in even in freaking Central America, there's stuff that's been up for thousands of years. And we can't build a phone that lasts more than two and a half years. Well, we can, we just don't want to. You can put a man on the moon. So want that's you to for buy all the Brian Regan thing. fans. And then I, here's my, you want to see the battery? There's my old battery. Right there. Yeah, it looks like a battery. And I, I can't just throw it away, I have to recycle it. So anyways, that story was more frustrating in my experience than I was able to convey, but I was not a happy camper. Yeah, but now we have the same phone. We do. I think it's the same, basically, as what I had. I don't know what they did that, one, it's... changed the name, but two, made the price so much lower than it was. I looked at... Um... I watched one YouTube video about how it compares to the iPhone 11, so it's an iPhone SE, and so they have like the same internal processing chip, so it's a newer like processing system, but it's not as upgraded on the camera as the 11, so that's why it's so much cheaper than the 11, and it also ha still has the um, home button and no face ID. Yeah, but I also had the 8, which was like the last new one that I thought they were going to make with the home button and whatever. And I don't know how this compares to the 8 and why this was like almost $500 less than the 8. Why I had to pay so much money before. But whatever, here we are. Yeah, mom wants to get a new phone too, and she thinks she's going to end up with the same thing. Because I explained to her the differences between this and like the iPhone 11. Yeah, Basically, and I don't need home button. I don't need fancy anything. I needed to text and make calls and connect to the internet. I guess I maybe would have liked the m more updated camera with the 11. But I wasn't about to pay over $1,000 for a phone. Yeah. This one was a lot cheaper. Supposedly has the same processing power as the 11. Higher quality camera than my old phone. And it has a microphone that works, unlike my old phone currently. Yep, that's what matters. And I got a new pair of headphones. Um, in the box I was packing yeah. some things today and I packed a box full of like electronics and I've kept all of my Apple headphone boxes I don't know why but I think I found four boxes of headphones that I've bought over the past two years yeah those headphones they give you with the phone don't fit my ears I need to have a soft like this a soft uh, whatever earpiece 
I got small openings on my ears, apparently. Yeah, I think the, the headphones work fine for me. It's just they... I think it's probably because I work with dogs and the dogs are jumping all over me and, like, hitting the headphones over and over again. Yeah. Plus, I've had poor luck with lightning ports. Even So the first iPhone I had, the lightning port went out and I replaced it and then it went out again. But then my previous phone, which was my second iPhone, the lightning port also went out like within a year. So I don't know what the deal is with me and lightning ports. But that's why I got the 8 specifically. Well, one, I got it because at Target on Black Friday that year they had a gift card offer. But also I needed to be sure that it had wireless charging because I knew from my previous phone that the lightning port could break and if that thing breaks then you're not gonna be able to charge it unless you have wireless charging and then you can and now this one's the same deal with the wireless charging so there was one time in sixth or seventh grade with my ipod touch i borrowed a pair of skull candy earbuds from emily and when i took them out the like headphone jack got stuck um, and so whenever she tried to use those headphones on anything else, they wouldn't work. But if you like moved it just right in my iPod touch, it would work. So I'd be like, Emily, can I have those headphones? <laughs> like they don't yeah. work. Cause like, I think I'll make them work. So I didn't want to tell her that her headphones get stuck in my iPod. I never have. So well, if Emily ever listens know. to this. Apparently, she and mom listened to our family vacation episode on the way back from seeing you. Interesting. Dad texted me like three hours ago. What are your thoughts on shaving a horse? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We know we got at least one listener who listens all the way through. Yes. Our numbers have gone up. We've gone from three estimated regular listeners to four estimated regular listeners. Ooh. So we're moving Prob- up. And probably we're, thanks we to have, Mom and Emily. <laughs> I think we have two episodes that are double-digit listens, oh, and the wow. rest are not. <laughs> so I guess the goal is to... Push for those double-digit listens somehow. Hopefully people just stumble across us. Hello, new people. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, everyone! (laughs) Hey, everybody. My name's Eric. And I'm Elena. And we are the co-hosts of the 2 Out of 3 podcast. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) And we've come back together today to talk to you guys about our Patreon page. Anyone who's familiar with the podcasting world knows that podcasts are mostly self-funded productions. Patreon is a way for us to connect with patrons who will help fund our productions with us. So if you're watching this video on Patreon, you're already here, so go ahead and take a look around. If not, there are two different ways you can find us. You can go either to patreon.com slash 2 out of 3 podcast or to 2 out of 3 podcastcom That's patreon.com slash 2 out of 3 podcast or 2 out of 3 podcastcom Now back to the show. Yep. <laughs> Oh. So we get started on our actual topic with that. Yeah, now that we've been talking for 15 minutes. That's fine. It's our podcast. We do what we want. 
So our actual topic this week is... <laughs> We're going to talk about school. Yay. Uh, yeah. What just happened to your headphones? Nothing. Oh. I want, it might have been on my end then. There was background noise that just went away. For those of you listening, on my end, I have air conditioning that blows. <laughs> More blows air than blows. doesn't work well. It works well in the part of the house I'm in. But and on my end, is. I have motorcycles in the background and neighbors downstairs <laughs> who party every weekend. And sometimes on Mondays. Anyways, talking about school. So, you and I are eight school years apart, I realized. And even though in our primary and secondary education we went to some of the same schools, there were some differences in the schools we went to and also, I'm sure, differences in our experiences at those schools. So some discussion about that and then some discussion about our college experiences but first off i told this story to someone recently that after i left our elementary school like the year after i left they changed it from calling them students to calling them scholars <laughs> interesting just a building of hmm. four to eleven year olds just these are our scholars was it the same uh principal I don't remember her name. Um, she might be retired now. Um, I think she's retired now. Miss, Mrs. Mrs. Uh, husband worked at the other school. <laughs> I mean, you're going to remember before I do. I only was at that one school a year. Yeah, Which I guess is part the, of this. You're there the first year it opened. Yep, I am the first part of the first graduating class of Woodland Elementary in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Go me and the around 60 other of us who came out of that school that year. Although I'm sure we all didn't end up at Park Center. Anyways. <laughs> nope. My, uh... My schooling began, we still lived in Champlin, and I went to a school that doesn't exist anymore. Like, the building's still there, but the school itself is not there, called Champlin Elementary. So I was there from kindergarten through third grade. We moved in third grade. And I guess it was a school. I don't know. I don't remember much other than going there. At Champlin Elementary? That's exciting. Yep. So we were there until third grade, and then we moved to Brooklyn Park, and they didn't have, I don't know if they had plans for Woodland, which is the school I ended up eventually at and that you went your entire elementary school to. So we got bussed over to a school called Elm Creek, which was in Maple Grove, which is a neighboring suburb, and it was like a 45-minute bus ride in the morning to get over there. It was not the closest school so i don't know why they sent us to that school but that's where people from our our new development were being sent to so that we were there 
for a little over a month at the end of third grade and then fourth grade and fifth grade for me and Emily even Emily's different than me because my kindergarten was at Champlain Elementary but I think I was the last year that they did kindergarten there so she ended up doing kindergarten for the most part at a separate kindergarten like specific in the Anoka Hennepin district which I don't remember 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 the name of that school either so she was at Elm Creek from K through two I guess it would have been and then we went to Woodland and that was sixth grade for me Mrs. Perdames six for her and then per oh my goodness <laughs> I asked mom is that what you've been doing this whole time <laughs> yep. that was the Mrs. Perdames was the principal at Woodland Elementary and so we were there I was there in sixth grade you were there from preschool basically through sixth grade I didn't do preschool at a school. I did it at a church, but I think it was, I think my preschool at a church was put on by the district. Emily's preschool at a church was put on by the church. And then your preschool was just at Woodland. Yeah, it was four star because it was a all day thing. Because they had morning day, morning day? Half day morning and half day afternoon preschool. And they also had the full day four-star program so named because we were four years old and stars Mm -hmm. are they four scholars now i'd have to ask (laughs) yeah moving around in elementary school was very difficult for me it was not it still isn't easy for me to make friends but it was not easy at the time moving in it was probably better that we moved in during the school year i guess i can say that but i couldn't tell you for sure like whether it was better to get somewhat acclimated for that first month or whatever or the last month of third grade and then uh move on into fourth and fifth um and then moving you were also interjection from child who didn't exist at the time you were also like kind of a weird kid Mom said that one time Eric checked out a book on, like, rocks from the school library. And Mom was like, did someone make you check this out? No. I was very, uh, I was rather studious, I guess. It also, it helped so much on that end that I didn't really have homework, like, real homework until we moved to Elm Creek. That was another part that was really difficult for me. My homework load skyrocketed when I moved from Champlin to Elm Creek. Because, like, we would have, in third grade at Champlin Elementary, we would have, like, one worksheet with a bunch of stuff that we needed to get done by the end of the week. And then I didn't, it was like the load was so much greater. I was doing, like, an hour of homework every night trying to adjust to the homework level in my third grade class at Elm Creek. There was one night I remember when I didn't have homework, and it was, like, the best night of that month of school and then moved on from there yeah so we did go to the same junior high and high school for all of our years yeah which was at the time was called brooklyn junior and then park center senior which are connected but don't share anything really other than the pool they're uh sequestered in their own sections 
the junior high was built before the senior high but they are they are connected and then after you left they turned it into a six through eight middle school and a nine through 12 high that, school that was while i was still there i don't think you oh, realize how much that? younger i am than you yeah when i was in 10th grade it was still the way that yours was but when i was a junior and senior they switched it to the, the middle school and technically yeah. now it's park center international baccalaureate world school yeah, but it still it still says Park Center Senior in a bunch of different places too. But you are correct. That change technically happened while I was there, when they first instituted the back international baccalaureate program, which I think we'll talk about a little coming up. Waste of time. Uh, what else? What else? I was going to talk about other things. Oh, in being in school in elementary school, school was very easy for me. I don't know how it was for you. Like other than the the homework stuff third grade i think is probably where my homework problems began because i definitely did not do all of my homework from probably fourth grade all the way through seminary <laughs> like, i never did all of my homework at any of those points but uh like was an a like we didn't start doing letter grades until fourth grade i don't know what it, if that was the same with you there was like outstanding and satisfactory and whatever else with pluses and minuses for those things through third grade and then four through six was letter grades was a on a roll through then was a on a roll until eighth grade and then that was my first where i wasn't an a on a roll and then i don't think i was a on a roll again until my last trimester at park center I was a honor roll all of elementary school. I think we also had the fourth through sixth was letter grades. Everything else was just outstanding or satisfactory. I think I was a honor roll seventh grade. There was one time in eighth grade where I got like a C minus in a class. Mom yelled at me. Algebra 2. Algebra 2. Not even 2. Algebra 1. Algebra 2 wasn't until later. That was a difference between us two, the way that worked. They changed the math curriculum. I don't know what Emily did, but when I went through junior and senior high, we had a math program called Integrated. We had integrated one, two, and three, and that was a mixture of algebra and geometry each year instead of having two algebra classes and then one geometry class. It was all mixed together. Yeah, I don't remember what our seventh grade class technically was, but eighth grade was algebra one, ninth grade was geometry, tenth grade was algebra two, and then junior and senior year I did IB math, two-year course. Oh, I don't think I knew that. And it is worth noting at this point that there were different levels of classes. So going into junior high, you could test into classes that were called high-performance classes. They were a little more rigorous, a little more, a little faster paced, a little more content covered, 
and you had like all the smart kids grouped together in the classes. And in junior high, you had to test into those things, which was most important for math because in with a with an asterisk on this, in math, you skipped eighth grade math if you were in the high performance program. So seventh grade high performance was all the seventh grade high performance kids together in the seventh grade HP class. Eighth grade, you skipped eighth grade and then just did ninth grade normal with other ninth graders and then the few eighth graders who had skipped eighth grade math. And then in ninth grade, since we were still in the junior high, we did integrated two in a class altogether with the ninth graders who were in the program. And then I don't remember specifically if there was an integrated three HP class or if we just mixed in with other 11th graders when we got into the senior high. 11th grade for sure there was high performance pre-calc and it was either the, the 11th graders who were in the HP program or 12th graders who wanted to do the HP class instead of the regular class if I'm remembering correctly. And then being on that track allowed me to do AP Calculus senior year. So I did the BC class instead of the AB class was a potential option until not enough people signed up for it. And then you either did the BC class or you didn't do calculus that year. But that was just math. There was It was the core courses had HP, so it was math, science, English, and social studies had HP. When I was in school, um, high school was still like that, but junior high, you didn't really test into the program. You just took like an aptitude test for each subject. So I remember the science one was like, I like doing experiments. That sounds like me. (laughs) I like checking my results after a long time. That sounds like me. And you would use those tests to get into a standards plus class. S plus. It was still the same classes, English, science, social studies, and math. Yeah, I guess I just remember taking the test. I have no memory of what the things were, but I also didn't take all of the tests. I only did the math and the social studies. And then that first year, I was only in HP math because I was also in percussion in seventh grade, which was at the same hour as HP social. So, I mean, I probably did test into the HP social because I ended up in that class in eighth grade, but it, it was a conflict, a scheduling conflict. But I ended up in a social studies class with the same teacher who taught HP seventh grade. So I don't know that I lost a ton there. But I think, did you test all of the subjects or did you do the, whatever your, I don't know, I don't even know what to call your tests. Did you, were you in the, the standards yes. plus? I was in, I was in standards plus for everything, but yeah. it was like, if you didn't quote unquote test in, you could petition to be in the class. And so you just have to petition and be like, I just really like science. And I guess my results didn't show that. Yeah. And I think I figured out that I could have done that like after I got into junior high, but I didn't, which was a major mistake because I lost 
a whole lot, especially in the science with, uh, with how my classes ended up, especially in eighth, eighth and ninth grade, eighth grade. Again, I had the, the high performance teacher as my teacher, but it was in a class hour where it was at the end of the day. And we found out that they had kind of just dumped in a bunch of quote unquote leftover people like people that they didn't really know what to do with. So they all ended up in this science class. And I also ended up in the science class. So it ended up being a lot of, uh, I guess, some disciplinary issues with different people in that class. So I lost some of that. But then in ninth grade was definitely like the teacher we had. I lost so much science that year just in terms of learning anything. I remember... It's, there's like nothing even to remember from that class. Like I got, it was the class that was supposed to prepare us for chemistry. And I did so poorly in chemistry. One, because I didn't care, but two, because I had not been well prepared going into it. So I think that my experience with my classes kind of informed both you and Emily to get into high performance classes. And then my C's came in English in ninth grade. So that was moving from junior to senior high. We had, so moving into senior high, for starters, we had a combined English and social studies credit called ALP, which was the Advanced Learners Program, or no, the Autonomous Learners Program, which was a combined English and social studies credit. But they said that you needed to like, be such and such a student with such and such a grades to get into that class. So I ended up not even trying to get in in 10th grade because I'd pulled C's in my English. And I was like, well, let's just do normal English and social studies that year, 10th grade, and then get into ALP the next year, which is what I did, which take it or leave it, I guess, with that. But then again, in science, science was a class that convinced me I needed to get into all HP classes in 10th grade. And I don't remember if there was something specifically or if it was just seeing the other students around me and their efforts or whatever it was. Whatever the case, in when you got into senior high, you could just choose to be in high-performance classes for your grade level. You didn't need to test into it. So I chose in 11th and 12th grade to take the high performance of everything that was available to me. I don't know what your, your experience was different with IB. I do want to get into that, but not quite yet. Well, but I know, again, we'll backtrack a little bit. I know that you didn't enter into IB right away because that program doesn't work that way. So what was your 10th grade like? My 10th grade, the school still had a normal schedule. So I, I did take ALP. I had Spanish, band... Uh, what other classes? I had the rotation of like gym, health, and then a art class. So I took culinary arts. We made like muffins, chemistry, and algebra too. Still like a normal, normal schedule. Then the next years it got completely screwed up because we switched to the four-year high school. Um, we ended up with seven classes instead of six and so we had just like this stupid schedule where monday and friday you had all of your classes but tuesday wednesday thursday you only had five of your classes and they were longer sections 
And so you only went to each of your classes four days a week. And then on Thursdays, you didn't go to fifth hour. And fifth hour was what they based your lunch off of. So on Thursdays, you had a different lunch than every other day of the week. Oh, that's weird. That's definitely different than what I did. Mine was six hours all the way through, but there were some changes with the, the IB stuff. And then I also in, what was it, like once a week you had to go to advisory? Yep. So we had. Which was basically homeroom for everyone listening. Yeah. But because we were starting to get pushed into IB, we did a, I was in a advisory section that did a personal project. So it was just like you had to do a project Ooh. over the course of the year. And there weren't really any restrictions. But my YouTube channel that I made, I did that for my personal project. Other cool. people, like, started learning a different language or planted a garden. Wrote a song. Interesting. But then IB junior and senior year is where things got... <laughs> real messy along with the random transition into having ninth grade as well so the school went to like 2,000 students or so we added on a couple well there was construction that added on a new quote-unquote wing that was the math wing it was just 12 classrooms so four classrooms on each floor and three floors That flooded once when I was at school because someone on the third floor lit a paper towel dispenser on fire (laughs) and it got like black goo everywhere because the paper towel dispenser melted. Um, And so then all the sprinklers went off, flooded the math wing. We were all standing outside. It was like January or February. I was like, it is too cold outside to be having a fire drill. And then the fire truck showed up. I was like, this is not a fire drill. Then we got sent home for the day. We ended up outside in January or February, I think in fourth grade, with uh, someone had hit a fire, like a pull fire alarm thing with a volleyball in one of the gym classes. So we all ended up outside because the alarms went off. Um, We also had, I had a flooding issue in, I can't remember if it was eighth grade or ninth grade. I had one. I will clarify this in a second. I had one trimester of Phi Ed in ninth grade, and I don't remember if it was during that or if it was during eighth grade when I had a full year of Phi Ed. Uh, the clarification there is that our school ran, our entire district ran on a trimester system, which in a college today would probably just be a quarter system, but we had a fall trimester, which ended like the first week of December, and then winter trimester ended i think sometime in march and then spring trimester ended at the end of the school year in june so when we say stuff was split up in trimesters that's how that worked but yeah we had a a flooding issue in gym where the sprinklers started spitting out this like black junk i don't even know what it was like just real dirty water and it was my hour of phi ed and it started in the passing time so right before i got down there there were guys coming up out of the locker room that had like this junk all over them 
and I didn't know what the deal was. Like the fire alarm started going off and I didn't know it was a big deal until suddenly out of one of the janitor rooms, like two or three janitors just burst out of the room. We got to get to the boiler room. And they just like, <laughs> took, off, took off running. Like, oh, this is real. Something is actually happening here. <laughs> And I think what we what we heard was that they were flushing uh, fire hydrants around the city and something from water mains ended up backing up in our school. And then that turned into sprinklers going off, whether that was actually what happened or not. I mean, who knows with junior high rumors, but that was what I have always attributed that to. That was my lone flooding experience. I mean, there were there was one day. In 11th grade? I think it had to have been 12th grade. Where the fire alarm went off like three times during the same hour. So it was like we were doing WAP, which is where the some members from some members from band would go play with the orchestra. So it's like we sat down to go play with the orchestra. Fire alarm went off. We all go outside. Get back inside the building. Walking back to the orchestra room. Fire alarm goes off again. The orchestra teacher just turns around. She's like, get back outside. Okay. (laughs) I can picture her doing it, too. (laughs) That was also, they, when they were doing construction to, like, get things ready for the switch into a four-grade school, they built a new orchestra room. And the orchestra room, not at all built properly. So, Eric, you'll know what I'm talking about. Listeners, you probably won't unless you're very familiar with Park Center. But you know how at the... Opposed to floor plan. (laughs) Yeah, you know how at the end... Yeah, I know where the new one is. End of the cafeteria, there was like that random stage, just like raised platform. That's the orchestra room now. Yeah, I've been in there once. It was weird to see. Yeah, way too small, just concrete walls, so all the sound bounces off. Ceiling's not high enough. We also had someone set off fireworks in 10th grade in one of the locker banks. Everyone definitely thought it was guns, because that's a thing that happens in this country. Oh, we had a very uh, credible gun threat at one point. Like, more than half of the school didn't come to school one day in 10th grade because this kid was like, I am going to come and shoot up the school. Mom was like, mom was like, you're going to school. (laughs) Thanks, mom. That's scary. Yeah. In my incident, I was sitting in my math class, which is on the first floor. It was right next to that locker bank. And the stuff started going off and all the kids outside, you just kind of saw them like they go from full standing to ducking forward, everyone running. And then my math teacher, who's maybe five, six, maybe just like dove into all the kids running towards the sound. Like this guy, he was like all about making sure people were safe. I was, I was very happy with him. I had him two of my three years in high school for math, but it was, uh, it was good. He was also the person who apparently said he had the bathrooms across the hall from him. And he, one point, apparently pointed to the guy's room and the girl's room in order and was like, yeah, they shoot dice in that one and smoke weed in that one. So that was a, a section of Park Center. Well, I think 
we had a similar thing with um gambling or like dice or cards in the boys bathroom but there was also a time i don't remember what year where people like opened a barber shop in the bathroom and would just like <laughs> give each other haircuts and bring clippers to school it's like oh you want a fresh cut come to the bathroom oh that's interesting oh and kind of gross <laughs> no thanks I cut my own hair. Could have Maybe had it down in the then. Park Center bathroom. Oh. I mean, I did that in college, but it feels different since it was in my dorm and not in the school. But anyways. Um, uh, what else did I can talk about? Oh, I guess we're going to kind of... We're going to get into some demographic stuff here. Kind of where I want to go. Um, so our elementary school, well, all three of the elementary schools I went to and the one you went to were very different from the junior and senior high we went to just, uh, racial makeup wise, largely because of where things were in our cities and where people live in our cities. So our, I haven't, I didn't. I don't know if this information is available, but I haven't looked up demographics for our elementary school. But, I mean, from memory, 90% white, over 80% white. I don't know what it was like when you were there. There were a lot more kids by the time you were in elementary. I would imagine about the same. Yeah. So we went from that to... Brooklyn Junior and Park Center Senior, which were much, much, much more diverse. So I actually have statistics available for Park Center. I was listening to a podcast episode talking about a different school district down in St. Louis that had uh, some different racial stuff, but it made me want to look up Park Center stuff and take a look. And I have it somewhere in one of these tabs, but I guess I can just start talking. So what I remember, I didn't have any official information available to me when I was in high school, but I had Wikipedia available to me, and they had demographic information on there for some reason. And what I remember was that Park Center, when I was there, was 35% white, 33% black, like 25% Asian of different makeups, and then kind of fill in from there uh, with different percentages. Uh, the largest group beyond that was uh, Latino and Latina. I'm just going to have to pull up this one specifically. Yeah, when I was and then there. I have specifics for you. Oh, I have them somewhere in a document. I, I've, I was texting them to you. I have all this stuff open and then don't have the one I want. That's Osseo. Anyways, so we had very diverse, very diverse schools that we went to, but that was not the case for the entire school district that we were in. So our school is a part of the Osseo Area School District. That's what the name of the thing is. 
And I really... Yeah, so we were Oh, I do at, have it open. We were at the diverse school and all of the... Yeah, the most diverse. Which actually, as I've been looking at stuff, Osseo, when you were in high school, looks like what Park Center when I was in high school looked like. But anyways, Park Center 2017, which is the year you graduated. Let me scroll on down here. 16% white, 36% black, 32% Asian, 12% Hispanic, 4% two or more races. And then it just says NA with American Indian. Like there weren't enough people from that demographic group to pull a percentage point. Which I do remember when I was in high school apparently we had three native american students in our school out of 1100 or whatever it was and your your total population definitely went up with adding another grade that says 2000 students that year in 2017 yeah my graduating All that to say, class was 420 people yeah mine was 393 but all that, well, I guess we probably had more than 1,100 kids then. Also, my graduating class shrunk between junior and senior year from 464 at the end of junior year to 393 graduating. We but definitely this... didn't graduate with everyone who was in our year. Yeah. But even then, we were big enough that when I graduated, there were kids I didn't recognize in my class. Oh, I didn't recognize most of the people. Yeah. And some of that is some of what we'll talk about. But then on top of the demographics, we also have very low test scores. So this again from 2017. Math test scores, percent proficient, 30%. And reading slash language arts test scores, 44% for our school. Which with some different demographic stuff that I looked at, there were people taking... AP and IB tests for college credit who would not have fallen in being proficient in math and reading. So I had, I like, as I was going through that, had the question of how prepared were these students even if they weren't going to test proficiently but were taking college-level, almost college-level classes in high school. Which leads me, I guess, to the implementation of the International Baccalaureate Program. It feels like a a powerful presentation topic <laughs> or a title. But uh, the IB program began kind of when I was in high school. So when I was in ninth grade, we had my last hour of the day was HP social. And so we had like a bunch of the quote unquote smart kids in one class altogether. And I don't know if the administration visited all of the ninth grade classes in whatever, but they came specifically, I remember, to our classroom one day in the spring in ninth grade to talk about the IB program. So the IB program, I don't know a ton about it. You might know more, but there are two different parts. There's a middle years program, which runs from sixth to 10th grade, I believe. And then there is a, uh, what's the top? Problem. Just Diploma program. Diploma program. Program spelled with an E at the yeah, end Yeah, because it. it's international. Yeah, two M's and an E. Anyways, so that's 11th and 12th grade. So my ninth grade year, 
they started implementing IB programming at a different junior high in the district. So there were four junior highs that fed into three high schools. One of the schools, one of the junior highs that fed into Park Center, it like split between two different schools, but it fed into Park Center. They had the middle years program implemented my ninth grade year. So you had the ability, I guess, to take middle years program classes at the junior high was called Northview Junior High. So you, the program started there. And then when I moved in to Park Center, they were starting, <clears throat> excuse me, starting, I don't know if it was like an accreditation process or what it was, but to have the finish of middle years program classes at Park Center and then implement the diploma program classes at the school which were not available by the time I graduated. But I think Emily got into Park Center the year after I left, and I think they started then. I don't know that for sure, but that's roughly it. The reason that we were told that they were bringing the IB program in was because the state had come to the district and was uh, concerned with how diversity was split across the district. So Park Center, we gave you those... uh, those numbers very diverse. Osseo was the second high school in our district, which I kind of mentioned earlier looked a lot like uh, Park Center when I was there. Maple Grove is the third high school in the district. Their demographics are that they are 76% white, 9% Asian, 9% black, 3% Hispanic, 3% two or more races, and then again, NA on the American Indian probably aren't enough students in that demographic to pull a percentage point all that to say they are much less diverse and maybe even more so when i was in high school than the other two specifically but park center in particular and so what we were told is that the ib program was being implemented at park center because based off of where different racial demographics scored in testing like the stuff we were talking about earlier they were less likely to be interested in a school that was implementing higher level education standards and that the expectation was that people from those racial groups would then open enroll to other schools in the district specifically hopefully maple grove was what they implied and then instead of the state coming in and redrawing school lines so that demographics were more evenly spread across the district then it would just sort of happen naturally based off of where different things were being emphasized educationally in the district. Uh, Ninth grade me had a problem with that. I didn't know what the problem was, but it sounded somewhat messed up. Uh, 28-year-old me has a problem with that as well. And I I don't know how many people from that classroom would remember that presentation, but it seemed very, for lack of a better term, wrong uh, that they were approaching different racial demographics with that. And this was in 2006, so this is almost 15 years ago now. But that was that was the reason that we were given for why things were happening the way they were with the implementation of the IB program. Later, I also learned that the hope was that our school park center would be turned into a magnet school 
meaning that it would draw upper level students from other districts who wanted to be a part of the IB program, but didn't have that available to them. Uh, the year after I left, there was no one prepared to open enroll at Park Center. I'm pretty sure looking at the information available from 2017, if there was anyone, I can't find evidence of there being people open enrolled, whether that was the case or not. The year I was a senior, there was potentially someone open enrolling, but it was a guy who had just moved just barely outside of the school, like the school district boundaries. And so he still ended up on our bus route because he was close enough to people who were in the district. But just like, it's just like the reason I always felt so weird about the IB program because of the reason that we were given for why it was being implemented. Uh, I will let you talk in a second about more about the IB program. But to carry on with some of the education levels at the school, my uh, 10th grade year advisory was just one day a week. It was like a homeroom like we talked about. And then the other four days of the week, it was like normal 55-minute class periods or whatever with passing times in between and lunch. But then starting in 11th grade, I think, and then for sure in 12th grade, they started having advisory once a week. But then, so that was on Wednesday. And then Tuesday and Thursday, they had this thing called intervention, which was the same time as advisory and in the same classroom as advisory. But it was like time to do homework, I think, was the main goal, or to like read or to like to focus on these things, which for where I was at academically wasn't super interesting to me. And where with the advisory classes I was in was not necessarily the most beneficial thing. So for the, the intervention periods in particular, I would get passes down to band so I could just practice band stuff instead of doing my homework, which like I probably should have been doing my homework anyways because I didn't. But that's a different, maybe not a different story, but I did not value intervention as highly. But that was an effort school-wide to have a higher focus on education standards at the school. Uh, in 2015, so this would be six years after I graduated, I guess you would probably have been a sophomore, the Star Tribune, which is the main newspaper in the Twin Cities based out of Minneapolis, ran, I think, a front-page story, if I remember correctly, about the improvement at Park Center because of the focus on standards and the focus on teaching. And it's like, a part of me looked at that and was like, obviously, if we're expecting that students will do better and we're focusing on them doing better, they are going to do better. Like, I don't think this is just some magic thing that oh, look at the things that have happened at Park Center. No, we were actually putting in an effort to teach people. Because I've had, I had kids when I was in high school, uh, one conversation I remember in particular talking about her preparedness going into, like, I think it was math specifically, and her commenting on, oh, you're able to do these things because of the elementary schools you went to versus the elementary school that she had gone to. And so it's like, I think, right, like, this is really a, a bottom-up thing, I think, like, as we're losing 
not just standards, but like as we're as we're not focusing on different things at different levels, starting like down in elementary school, like it makes things so much harder as you go on in school to try and catch up. And in our district, for sure, in particular, and I'm sure elsewhere in the country, a lot of resources end up getting pushed to higher achieving schools, which also just so happen to be, air quotes, just so happen to be schools that have a higher white to other student ratio. It was like a super common sort of joke that we would tell amongst ourselves in the school about how we were underperforming and weren't getting funds, but we should be getting more funds compared to other higher achieving schools because we're the school that actually needs it, but the schools that need it aren't getting the funding because they're not meeting these standards or whatever. So it's like, it's sort of a long-winded brief discussion about my experiences just with the IB program in particular. And then we'll talk about a couple other things with my thoughts related to other pieces. But I'm curious to know about your experiences in IB and then also, I guess, your reaction to whatever I just said. Yeah, I had never heard what you said about why IB was implemented. Um, 21-year-old me has a problem with that. <laughs> um, but I think I just kind of had a very different school experience than you. So my... I think we had or I think they were trying to make some middle years program classes or something at Brooklyn Junior. I don't remember. But I remember that the personal project was technically part of the middle year middle years program. And when I was in school, it was optional that um personal project but I think it was my senior year they made it so every 10th grader had to do a personal project. Um, and then the goal with IB classes was that you would go into the diploma program, meaning you would take entirely IB classes, so English, social studies, or history, math, etc. And you would also take a class called the Theory of Knowledge which was explained to me as how do we know what we know? And I thought that sounded stupid. So I didn't want to do the diploma program because I didn't want to take the theory of knowledge, but I still wanted to be in the IB classes because they were the higher level classes that our school offered because we pretty much got rid of AP as soon as IB came around. So there were very few yeah. opportunities to take AP classes so I took almost entirely IB classes. <laughs> I took classes that if you're in the diploma program, you can't take at the same time um, or like you can't take at all. So we offered IB biology, IB chemistry, and IB physics. And people in the IB diploma program, I think they were supposed to take physics and chemistry as an IB course and just take HP biology. But I took all three as an IB course, which the school was not prepared for, which then messed up my schedule. So they made some bizarre changes in my schedule. 
in my senior year, my schedule was so messed up because I wanted to take these IB classes, but they're like, we, you can't. So what I ended up doing my junior year, I went to the IB coordinator and I was like, hey, I really want to be an IB Spanish, but I also want to be in the higher level band. And IB Spanish, it's a two-year course, and year one happens at the same time as high-level band. And I talked to the Spanish teacher, and she said that she would be okay with me specifically jumping to year two of the class, because I have four years of Spanish background, not just three, like everyone else. So I skipped a year of Spanish so I could go into higher-level band. And the idea was that my senior year, I would go back and take the first year of Spanish with the 11th graders when I was a 12th grader. But then that course, I couldn't take that at the same time as physics and biology. So all three of those courses messed up. And I went to the principal and I was like, hey, there's a problem here. She was like, well, what happened? I took, I wanted to take these courses. Well, you can't. Yeah, I know that now. And she was like, well, you should have just followed the plan. I was like, well, I didn't want to follow the plan. I wanted to take these courses specifically. And you told me I should have been able, not you, but like the school told me I should have been able to take these. Well, you can't. Again, I know that now. (laughs) So I did not get an IB diploma, but I didn't want one in the first place. And things ended up working out fine. But like AP classes, you could use the IB class and take the IB test at the end of the end of the year and test out of college courses. Um, oh, I also didn't have room in my schedule for IB English. So that was one of the few AP courses that we still offered. So I took AP English. And then I tested out of an English course. But even with all the IB tests that I took, I... How many did I take? I had to have taken at least five. And I got three college credits in history, which cannot really be applied to my major in any meaningful way. Because, like, I did all these years of courses, rigorous courses, paid $90 or whatever per exam just to get three college credits. So I think it was definitely overhyped. They told us there would be all these great benefits. You can get all your college credits. You'll have all this background. And then I get to college and people are like, you did what? I took IB courses. What is an IB? You have to try and explain the program. Because it is an international program and there are like international schools that partake in it. And so the one thing... That made it significantly different from all of the other courses in the school is that it had to be based on like somewhat of a global scale because the IB tests, like they all had to be taken around the same time. So students wouldn't get the questions in Switzerland and then two weeks later see the same questions in the US or whatever. So my junior and senior year of high school, we finished almost Every single one of my classes finished like three weeks before the end of the school year. 
Because we yeah. had to have all the material taught by the time the IB test was in May. And we didn't finish until early June. And so then for the last month of school, we would just do nothing in our classes. So I had one class where we watched Breaking Bad for a month. I had one class where we watched the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, like, one class was like, we're still going to do something that IB doesn't teach you, but you should probably still know. But everything else was like, yeah, just kind of do whatever. Seems like a yeah. poor use of time. That's kind of how my AP Calc class ended up, because the AP tests were in the start of May, too. Because it was like, even with, I mean, maybe you can stretch things more in English, but when I was in AP English, it felt like we still were doing things through the end of the school year. Like, with IB History, we literally just, like, watched Lord of the Rings for the last couple weeks of school. Because we didn't have anything else to do. No more material to teach. The one thing that I will speak highly about with IB, with IB History in particular, I was very satisfied. I feel like a lot of social studies classes, history classes in the U.S. are very U.S.-centric And we did learn about the Revolutionary War at least four separate times in my, like, (laughs) schooling. It's like you learn it in fifth or sixth grade, and then you do it again in seventh grade, and then again in ninth grade, and then again. It's like, we don't need to do this. But we did also have a much more global focus because it was an international course. So I feel like I learned a lot more in that course about history things beyond just the revolutionary war and christopher columbus found america no he didn't yeah so we learned about like the french invading algeria and like that occupation Mm -hmm. we learned about the falklands war which was between argentina and great britain uh we learned about the industrialization of canada which i mean still um north american but more than just the u.s yeah that's stuff we definitely didn't talk about i will say in alp our social studies sections covered a lot of sort of ancient history that uh since a lot of that history also is christian history when i got into christianity and western culture in at bethel it was like i've done all this before in alp and then i got into seminary and i did my church history class and i was like i did all of this at bethel and in high school (laughs) Yeah. yeah so i did feel Extremely fortunate that in my history class in high school, I learned about things other than just the U.S. I feel like it made me a better student. Yeah. And I should say to piggyback on something you said, the IB program was presented as being sort of equivalent to AP classes. So if people haven't heard of the IB program, they probably more likely have heard of AP classes. So kind of equate the level of rigor or education and that in your mind that way also in terms of not having a whole lot of ap classes when you were in high school we didn't have a whole lot of ap classes when i was in high school either 
I'm pretty sure my senior year, the only AP classes were AP Calc and AP Stats. We had had AP English the year before when I was a junior, which I didn't take because I was an ALP, but uh, I don't think it was their senior year. So that was an issue before the IB program was implemented. I think the only AP classes I am aware of that we had at any point while I was in school, we had IB, or not IB, AP English, 11 and 12. We had AP Stats. And at one point we had AP Physics, but we didn't have it when I mm -hmm. went to take Physics. So my only options were Regular or IB. Yeah, we didn't have that available. And then, in addition to all those things, I also wanted to touch a little bit on demographics again, but in terms of uh, upper-level classes versus the quote-unquote normal-level classes. Because being, in, being at Park Center in 10th grade and not taking all high-performance classes, I was in, like those, again, quote-unquote, regular classes with a much more diverse population. So when I reflect on my time, I see that I can see the demographic differences between the two different levels of classes and how like it was roughly the same as what the entire school would have been in my regular level classes. But then in the, uh, the upper level classes, it was like 80 to 100 percent white in a school that was 35 percent white. So that like, again, there's this I don't know if it's an achievement gap or if it's a like a failing of different groups of people at different levels of being able to teach to some extent but it's like I don't know it was frustrating and then on top of that our lunch room was sort of split up into we'll see if it was the same for you but split up into three different seating sections is that the same there's like the one closest to the band room and then there was like an open space where the lunch lines would form. There were like four different lines and one and two would form sort of in the middle of the lunchroom and then three and four were off to a different side. So there was seating area, space for lunch lines, another seating area, and then there was like an open hallway type section that was tiled instead of carpeted. And then on the other side of that was another seating area, which beyond that is where your orchestra room would have been our stage and skylight would have been like the weird stage is that like the same seating area for you yes i also just want to interject though yes eric did just say carpeted when eric and emily were in high school the cafeteria was carpeted and then they redid it wasn't that. carpeted for you no they redid that along with several other renovations so we yes. didn't have carpet but and also our tables were only four cedar tables. like So it was like a square table that only had four chairs around it. But then people would just pull up chairs to different tables. So even though it was only a four-person table, I sat at a table with eight different people, typically. But the reason I was talking about this is that it seemed more or less like we sort of split up on our own racially in those groups. So like... At least when I was in high school, the one section was mostly white, one section was mostly black, and one section was mostly sort of anyone not fitting in those categories. Like, not completely entirely, 
but fairly normally. And that was like all three years, more or less, from what I remember. And so even though we were a diverse school, we didn't necessarily mix very well on our own, if that makes sense. I don't know what you remember of your experience. I think we probably mixed better than you did. I don't remember specifically having like the three major sections. I do remember, um, what year would that have been? There was one year where I did sit in like the non-white section, like looking around and, wow, I'm the only white person. Eh. That's cool. Yeah. In general, it was probably still very divided, though. I will also say that with the high-level classes, I feel like the general thought that I have is, wow, those high-level classes were so white. But when I look back on some of the specific classes, maybe it's just because we had more diversity in our school when I was there than when you were there. Like, looking back, there were quite a few people of color in my classes. I think my, well, not Spanish. My Spanish class, when I took Spanish, it was five people, and four of us were white. <laughs> so that one, sample size. <laughs> that one didn't fit. But, like, with my biology class, um, my senior year, I think there were 12 of us and maybe four white people well i guess i can't remember yeah. now who all was in my classes and it, it could be of... it could be by the time you were in high school versus when i was in high school there were different focuses at different levels in the district so maybe things had improved uh in saying that things I don't think have improved enough based off of, I mean, it's hard to, I don't want to say it's hard to truly determine things via test scores, but like that's sort of the, what we have to go on. And all that being said, I think Park Center's test scores based off of the information I have are so low that there definitely are issues at our high school. And probably further in the district. Yeah, there was one point in high school where administrators were boasting our graduation rate to us, and our graduation rate was like 80%. Yeah, that's like the one thing. One in five students aren't going to graduate. Yeah, but that's like the one place where Park Center is even close uh, close to the rest of the state. Otherwise, the test scores are way below, but the graduation rate somehow is the same, which again, how well are we teaching our students if we're graduating people who aren't meeting the same levels as people from around the state? Yeah, I also feel uh, like it's more it's more than just a school issue because with where Park Center is placed, it is in the like the poorer part of town, which is yeah also the like the the blacker part of town like all the white people were across 610 and 
in the neighborhood with yes. the elementary school. Yes. This is a thing I also want to touch on. So there is a street in Brooklyn Park that is called 85th Avenue. Thus named because that's what it is. I don't know. <laughs> it's the 85th one. <laughs> yeah. More more or less, this street splits Brooklyn Park in half north and south. So the street runs east and west across splitting the north side of Brooklyn Park and the south side of Brooklyn Park. Even when I was in high school, the north side of Brooklyn Park was noticeably not only uh, a class higher in terms of like middle class, like noticeably wealthier than the south side of Brooklyn Park. But in addition, it was also noticeably wider in the north side of Brooklyn Park than in the south side of Brooklyn Park. I say this because there was a class I had, some class period during ALP actually, in 12th grade, senior year, where for, I don't remember what the presentations were about, but a different person than me in a presentation brought up the fact that there there was like this demographic difference between north and south in the city of Brooklyn Park. And people lost their freaking minds like trying to counter this largely it was people who had moved from the south side of brooklyn park to the north side of brooklyn park and listing off other people who again had moved from the south side to the north side of brooklyn park and it's like it almost feels like you're proving your point that you're moving out of this one place into this other place again this is 12th grade me thinking these things and so i was like i was so like, I didn't say anything at the time, but I was so sure that the person who had said this wasn't wrong. That So this was in 2009. 2010 was a census year, so those statistics were available roughly in 2011. And I looked at it, and it is demonstrably wider on the north side of Brooklyn Park than it is in the south side of Brooklyn Park. I don't know what statistics are going to show this coming year, but in 2010, it was like you could – they, like, split demographics up with different uh, – colors i guess on the map like red green yellow blue what i don't remember but on the the uh the census map and it was like like hugely different in terms of like i feel like we always need to say not completely not entirely but statistically there was a pretty big difference between the two different parts of brooklyn park and The reason this is important, I think, is because of how the district lines are split up. So our district covers a bunch of different cities, largely, almost entirely taking Brooklyn Park and Maple Grove and completely taking Osseo because it's so small. And based off of where people live in the district is where they go to school. And since the schools are set up geographically where they are, this is a large part of why things demographically are the way they are which I think is a major issue across the country and is part of the reason why I'm starting to understand why where people live makes so much of a difference in terms of a lot of different racial issues and why how we set up the system for people to live where they live is such a huge deal, especially when it comes to education when we're having to draw school lines a certain way. Uh, I don't know if you have any response to that. That was a lot all at once. I've thought about these things a lot with no answers. <laughs> yeah, I think the point I was trying to, I was trying to articulate is that there, 
it's not just going to be if you want to see an increase in test scores. It's not just going to be you need to focus on test test yeah. scores. It's going to be a huge systemic change because, yeah. like, with the huge racial difference between South Brooklyn Park and North Brooklyn Park, if you will, um, like, it would be difficult for someone living in South Brooklyn Park to move into North Brooklyn Park. In addition, South Brooklyn Park is underfunded. Um, Park Center is essentially in the middle of a food desert, so it's difficult to find food that isn't fast food. So it's difficult to find like a grocery store that will sell you produce or something. So if you're looking at kids who are living on the poorer side of town and they have to work extra jobs to help their parents and then they can't get to the grocery store and so then they're eating fast food and then they go to school like just trying to increase their act score isn't going to be enough you need to focus on well why aren't they getting enough food oh because they're living in this part of town that we won't put yeah. a grocery store in or yeah. we're keeping them in this area where they're going to make less money and they can't afford other things and so they need to work extra hours as a high schooler to help provide for their family yeah that was definitely an issue when i was there too it's also interesting to look at the free and reduced lunch statistics for how many people qualify for those things it was it's so interesting as you say that because like i know i understand the concept of food deserts but i've never thought about this with park center and as you were saying this, I have literally no idea where the closest grocery store to Park Center is. Yeah, it's... Do you? I would imagine it would be Cub and Target on 85th. Not on 85th. On Brooklyn, on Brooklyn Boulevard. Boulevard. I get those and, two roads uh, mixed up. It's not West Broadway. Yeah, but that's still, what, two miles it's from not, high school? It's not super close. Wow, I've never thought about that. Yeah, I remember at one point, um, the school district decided to close because of dangerously cold temperatures. Like, if you be outside for 10 minutes, you're going to catch frostbite because it's negative 40 outside. And I remember hearing someone be like, well, back in my day, if it was that cold, we would just bundle up. And in my head, thinking like, well... In my head, it was like, well, if these, if Park Center is in, it is placed in an area where a lot of people around it are poor. Again, not everyone, but people are poor. And if you live within a mile of the school, you don't get a bus. Like, you have to walk to school. So anyone within a mile of Park Center who's probably living in an area without access to certain things... They don't necessarily have the clothes to bundle up, and they have to walk to school because there's no other option for them. Yeah. And then we definitely had we had a cold day when I was in kindergarten across the state. But, I mean, yeah, whatever. As you were talking about this, I'm looking up where grocery stores are in relation to Park Center in, like, in case anyone wants to check us, there are some smaller things. There's an Aldi semi-close by. There's a place called Sun Foods, which it looks like is next to 
the arc down in Brooklyn Center. Do you know where that is? On Brooklyn Boulevard? Yes. So there's some, there are like some things around, but like I think the point is that it's like fairly spread out and like all this stuff is on Brooklyn Boulevard. So, and compared to, I don't think it's not only compared to the neighborhood we grew up in, but potentially also the resources people have getting different places. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all that. I want to. I think one more thing, at least, uh, along the lines of diversity at Park Center. I do want to talk a little bit about senior year. We had a guidance counselor type person. I was never entirely sure what her job title was, but that's like sort of the role she inhabited, who sort of began trying to get, well, I mean, me and sort of my small group of friends in particular, or some, I don't remember exactly, but like trying to get us to understand how different people from different racial groups were not only raised, but like their experiences growing up and the differences between us. And it was like, it was a concept that was like so foreign to me at the time that I totally, like it was over my head, not understanding. And so like, it took going to Bethel to start actually like, not just thinking about these things, but like, having them embedded inside of me or like internalizing these things. So whenever I think about people starting off their journey, like that's what I can go back to is sort of like, I, I understand where different people are because I was there, like not understanding the differences between how I grew up versus how other people had grown up, what my experiences were, experiences were like versus other people's experiences. And then, uh, differences, similarities, and sort of structurally what sort of informed how those things came to be. So there there were people in my life, or at least one person in my life, trying to like help us understand those things, which I guess at Park Center is maybe a little easier to, excuse me, easier to see than at other places potentially. But uh just wanted to also mention that yeah kind of in that same vein i remember i think it had to have been my 10th grade year there was a one of the like four black teachers at um park center gave an assignment to his students that was like i want you to go ask a black person how their life has been different in this country because of their race and i remember just this outrage from a white family just like well that's racist to say that black people have it differently than other people in the country and i don't know how to say it at the time and i think i have a better idea now is that like it's not racist to recognize that different people have different experiences in this country mm-hmm. like everyone will have a different experience and someone's race is going to be a big influence on the experience that they have yeah, because much, that's how this country was built. Yeah, and it was very much a defensive, like, well, I'm white and I, I'm, I, well, take a second, calm down, not attacking you, 
telling you that you have the opportunity now to do something you might not think about doing, which you will learn something from. Yeah. So there's probably more. I have thoughts of researching and writing something potentially related to this. Uh, specifically like diversity and standards and my own personal experience, whatever. But I realize that it's going to be a very large task, so don't expect that anytime soon. Or we'll see what happens with that. I mean, there uh, have been discussions in the district for a long time about why is Park Center the way it is and why is nothing changing. Yeah. I feel like with current conversations in the country, we're potentially getting to a turning point. Someone on the board, the Osseo board, the Osseo district board, did just quit because she felt like called out by woke culture and wanted to protect her children or something. Because people Mm -hmm. are calling for a board member to resign after some racist posts were found. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely didn't look back too hard once I got out of school. So I don't know the goings-on in the district over the last 10 years. Pretty much um, there has not been much change. The district has repeatedly been like, we want to talk about diversity but, like, that'll be them talking about diversity. So it was, like, when the racist posts were found by a board member, there was a meeting, like, a board meeting. And the board, their motion during that meeting was to condemn those actions. And that was what they did about it. They said, that was wrong. But did nothing nothing else like stuff i wish i knew more about but now i don't i don't live in the district either i live in a different district right now and i don't really have children on the way who i'm planning on sending to school anytime soon but i guess we can still work on changing things Mm -hmm. it'll impact someone i would like to see a see some change see a generation of people who wouldn't be completely offended by the go ask a black person how their life has been different because of their race see a generation of people not completely offended by that because it's not attacking you it's a comment on the system yep Unless you're actively working in some way or another, but that is not the accusation. There is no accusation in that statement. Go find out how someone was different because of this thing that causes things to be different. Mm -hmm. I would also like to see greater diversity in the other two high schools, which just based on geographically and other issues... I imagine that's going to be a long, drawn-out yeah. process. I was surprised to see Osseo's demographic difference 
from what I thought it was going to be and that it is a whole lot closer to what Park Center was like when I was there. So there is a, whatever this is, publicschoolreview.com. They have one section of this. This is where some of my demographic information has come from, not just the state. But they have one section that's called a diversity score, and it is the chance that two students selected at random would be members of a diff of a different ethnic group scored from zero to one a diversity score closer to one indicates a indicates a more diverse student body so park center's demographic or diversity score is 0.73 osseo's is only down to 0.72 so it's actually a fairly diverse school i should also indicate or note that diversity does not just mean a larger number of black and brown students like so this podcast that i was talking about that i listened to earlier that started me thinking about these things they were talking about a school district that was like 98 percent black that's not necessarily a diverse school district like it's a pretty large group of one group the issue in that district in particular is how they were compared to districts around them i think a lot of this is me based off of what I think, uh, hopefully informed by other things like school and whatnot. But uh, diversity isn't just more because there's potential that Park Center starts getting less diverse if different, dis if different groups pull out as other groups get larger, if that makes sense. So we're not just, I guess my point is diversity doesn't just mean bring in a bunch more people of a certain group because at some point, like, it starts shifting in a different way. Diversity means bringing a bunch of different people together and being able to share, share experiences, share, like, share education, share whatever other things is just... I think there are some times where people say things are diverse when that's not actually what is going on. And I think also a big thing that has been a talking point for talking point for Park Center has been that like the student population is incredibly diverse, but the staff and teacher population is yeah. not at all. So yeah, tackling that issue. that problem as well. Just why are we not hiring? Yeah, black who are teachers? we seeing in different positions? Mm -hmm. There was a lawsuit about that a couple years ago. That was like when I when I was at Park Center, we had so there was like the principal and then two vice principals, and one of them was uh, this guy, Mister Osai who like i definitely was sad that he left because even though i didn't know what was going on in the administration i could tell that like he had a really great connection with the school and with students at the school and was a person of color in a position of authority who was well respected by the students at the school so they ended up losing him to be a principal at a school in saint paul and now he's actually the superintendent of the St. Louis Park Schools. I don't know if you know that. You didn't know who Mr. Osai was anyways. But, uh, like, losing people uh, sort of who can be 
like filling sort of that role is like there aren't i mean this again this can all funnel down to how are we preparing people to enter these roles and then how are students being shown that they can also enter these roles and not just have one group i guess going into these things Mm -hmm. i don't even know who the vice principals are now i yeah our other vice principal is now the principal she was the principal when you were there miss miller sink yeah she left and came back once my sophomore year we had a dude named mr gronky i think he had been at park center before i was there or possibly at Brooklyn Junior, but I th- it's in some way he was there before. Yeah, and he was... The rumor mill started turning, and because there was a lawsuit against the district, in particular because of actions that Gronky had made, people were like, oh, he was let go because he was racist. And then we had Miss Miller sink. Mm-hmm. And I think that when I was there, we had three vice principals... And I'm fairly certain that they're not, that, like, all of them aren't there anymore. Interesting. Yeah, in my experiences, the vice principal ended up getting promoted to principal. Because the principal at the high school, when I was there, had been the principal at the junior high. And when she left to be the principal at the high school, the vice principal at the junior high ended up becoming the principal at the junior high. And then I think he must have left at some point, because then... The vice principal, when I was in ninth grade, ended up being the principal at some point. Miss Monette, is that a name you know? Yeah, from from BJ? From Brooklyn Junior. Yeah, was she the principal there? We had Mr. Mendelea for a year, and then he went on some, like, five-year vacation to Venezuela or something. So then Miss <laughs> Monette was the principal. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, she started as vice principal when I was in ninth grade. But yeah, there was like that succession. Oh, I don't know if Mr. Mendeley ever came back. There. And yeah, Monette's he was the vice principal so. for Ms. Parpart. She was almost superintendent. We hired an outsider, I think. Fairly I don't know certain. anything about. I don't remember who was superintendent when we were when we were there. Miss McGuire. Kate. That's probably right, but it's so long ago that I don't remember. <laughs> don't remember. You're probably right. I don't have any reason to dispute. Was... I feel like she was fairly new by the time I was aware who the superintendent was. Even know what the superintendent does. Our grandpa was a superintendent, and I have no idea. I have no idea what he did. <laughs> I don't know. I just remember mom telling me that when she was growing up, she felt that she could only bring her own lunch to school so many times because her dad was so high in the district that like she yeah. had to eat the school food. That's that's not just how she felt. That was the rule in their house. Like hmm. she could only bring her lunch one day a week. Otherwise, people might start wondering what's wrong with the school lunch that the superintendent's daughter is bringing her lunch instead of eating at school. The superintendent's child could come into my apartment right now and I would have absolutely no idea who they are. Yep. 
it's probably a difference with school size now. Yeah, well, we also went to a suburban school, and Mom went to a more rural school, at least until she went to Wilmer. Because, like, Grandpa was at Raymond and then at KMS, which are, like, farm communities. Yeah, we didn't have that life. I remember mom commenting on how much of a city kid she raised with me because I one time had gone from one end of Kirkoven to the other and back, and it's only like a 10 block down and 10 block back. And I was like commenting on it somewhat jokingly, and she was like, oh, I raised such a city kid. But it's like, I don't know, Kirkoven is, it is small. It has <laughs> this, less than a thousand people. Town itself is small. Yeah, we grew up in the sixth most populous city in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, and we'll have to see what it is once the census come out comes out. I was pretty sure it was tracking to over 100,000 like it would be there by this census, but I don't know now since we haven't lived there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's getting bigger. And there's still there's still room to develop somehow. Target hasn't developed all their land yet. They just have so much of it. Yep. I saw when I was in high school. I saw a statistic that ninety five percent of tar- of uh, of Target ninety five percent of Brooklyn Park was developed. And I was like, "Are you sure? <laughs> there's still some farmland up there. Our house used to be farmland." Mm-hmm. I wrote a paper uh, about old it. Old house now. Apparently, I wrote a paper about how I had to talk about like something that reminded me of the place that I grew up, and I wrote about potatoes. <laughs> yeah, apparently, some news outlet did some like quote-unquote fluff piece. Uh, one of the TV news things about Brooklyn Park and how it used to be potato fields and that Brooklyn Park's potatoes used to be better than Idaho potatoes. Mm. Like someone who had been a potato farmer had the comments. Okay. No more, no more potatoes, barely any more farmland. But I mean, it's still the city celebration is tater days with tater the days, yep. city mascot Spud McTater. I know this all sounds like a joke, but I'm serious. It is actually true. (laughs) Thank goodness we were the pirates. Moorhead High School is actually the Spuds. That's actually their mascot. I mean, Maple Grove is the Crimson, crimson. and their mascot is a maple leaf. So at least we weren't that. At least we had a good mascot. Yep. Pirate Pride. Fear the leaf. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not quite. Depends on the sport. And even then, it's not going to be because of the leaf. Mm, Nope. Sports sports at Park Center were better when you were there than when I was there. At least you guys. Oh, yeah. Our basketball. Great. Our basketball was mediocre at best. 
my what year was that ninth grade year the boys basketball team went to state wait no my eighth grade year the boys basketball team went to state and then ninth 10th 11th and 12th the girls basketball team went to state yeah they won it twice when the boys went to state that would have been my senior year of college and mom called me and was like we're going to see park center in the state tournament are you coming it's like what are you talking about <laughs> park center doesn't go to state the soccer anything. team went to state at one point they went to Maybe state when i was years. in eighth grade i don't know if they went when you were they were in the state final when i was in eighth grade our big state tournament thing was our girls hockey team when i was a sophomore and that was it was interesting because that was the first year that our hockey teams combined with other schools in the area because we didn't have enough people to play hockey. So our girls team was Park Center, Osseo, Brooklyn Center, Fridley, and Columbia Heights, I think, were the five schools. There were five schools. I think it was those ones. And they went from being called Park Center to the North Metro Stars. And then the boys' team was all those schools except Osseo because Osseo apparently still had enough guys to play hockey. And our guys' team was terrible. But that first year, in 2007, our girls' team went to state, and they went to the state finals and lost to Stillwater. And it was, like, super exciting to be at the XL Energy Center. And since I was in the pep band, we got to be right on the glass right next to the ice. It was a lot of fun. There were, there were some, uh, some good times. When we played Benilde St. Margaret's, we chanted public schools. There were definitely a couple of we will fight you chants. Uh, <laughs> I think that was during the Stillwater game when we were losing. <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. And then also, since it was different schools, like the team kind of was our colors. I think it was like sort of a gold and black maybe a little bit of green trim but like meant to like combine the schools and sort of form a new thing but then the osseo kids were all still in orange because like what else are they going to dress up in and then i don't know about the other schools what they're what they typically were i think brooklyn center is purple i don't know for sure that sounds right columbia heights is blue and gold they're the i don't remember like at the night i think they're the knights Emily lives over there now. She might know. I think that's St. Michael Albertville that's the Knights. They're the Knights, too. There are, I'm sure there are many Knights. I have no idea what uh, Fridley is. But that no was fun. Idea. Other than that, I mean, the best football team I saw won four games, two <laughs> regular season games, and two sectional games, and it was the best that the football team had performed in 15 years. A losing record. It was, we, my first pep band game was their second win of the regular season. And there were seniors who hadn't seen that team win. (laughs) (laughs) This is the first time I've seen them win. (laughs) They almost won homecoming that year too. They lost right at the end of that game. They were in a lot of games that year. It was a lot better than other years. I did stats my junior year for the football team, and it was embarrassing. Our homecoming game, we had 35 yards of total offense. (laughs) It's not even a full field. (laughs) That's not even half the field. 
I marched more than that in one show. <laughs> I so I went down. I remember this game pretty specifically. I had the stats with me. I would sit up in the box with a couple of the coaches who would like watch from the box and went down to they didn't go to the back to the locker room because it was it wasn't a hike, but it was like a couple of hundred yards from the school to the stadium. So they just had like little locker rooms underneath the stands that each team had their own. So I go down to that locker room and one of the coaches is like, what do the stats look like? And I just, all I could say was it's all negative. <laughs> Cause that halftime we had like minus four yards of total offense. It was, it was bad. It was very bad. I think we played Champlain park and lost 50 to nothing. That's the park. Center uh, we had a, we had a negative punt that year. So punt yards are counted from the line of scrimmage beyond and the punt got caught up in the wind and didn't make it back to the line of scrimmage we had a minus three yard punt (laughs) there was one point where our kicker was also a wide receiver there was one point where our kicker was leading in receiving yards and one of the wide receivers was leading in passing because the wide receiver had thrown to the other wide receiver who was also the kicker on a 96-yard touchdown. This was four games into the season. He was leading in passing with 96 pass yards. <laughs> it was so bad to watch. Oh. I mean, oh, the team man. has gotten a little bit better since then, but I yeah. still wouldn't say we're We got a guy into good. the NFL finally. Amani Hooker plays for the Titans. Mm-hmm. One claim to fame. There have been yeah. a very few number of Park Center-ites who have gone into professional sports. Pat Neshek. Yep. So Amani Hooker and Pat Neshek. And then we had a hockey player named Tim Jackman who kind of was a journeyman in the NHL. I remember him mostly with the Flames. Um, Tim Laudner was a catcher for the Twins in the 1980s. He was on the 1987 World Series team. He went to Park Center, I guess, in the 70s. Chrissy Wendell is one of the greatest American hockey players ever, Was on the was the American Olympic captain in 2002 when they took silver... Because Canada won in Salt Lake City. But she was the captain of that team. She's also in the Little League World Series Hall of Fame. She was a baseball catcher in the Little League World Series. Which, I guess, she would have been 12. I think that's the year. But, like, very talented person. Other than that, I think I've looked at It's on Wikipedia. There have, like, been other people who have kind of done other things. But those are, like, the main in our lifetime people and then also Amani's brother notable alumni it's like I know none of these names Amani's brother Quentin was also a basketball player he was in he was on that state basketball team Mm -hmm. he played basketball in North Dakota and then I think played professionally in Europe for a little while I don't know if he still does that was a for people who know basketball that team played against Apple Valley with a uh, a junior by the name of Tyus Jones, who now plays in the National National Basketball Association. So we got to lose to Tyus Jones, who did not miss a single free throw in that game. And it was very frustrating to watch from our end. Oh. 
Yep. I'd say that was a successful conversation actually about what we were planning to yeah. <laughs> converse. Well, the about. best part about it is I had, I thought we'd do half of this about primary and secondary and then the other half about college, but I think we're gonna have to wait on college because we've been recording for two hours now. Yeah. College is, college is a different experience. Yeah. We can do a whole different episode about differences between public university and private Christian university. Yeah. And I guess we can plan on that being the next one, but based on how these have gone thus far, there is no guarantee that college will cover the next one. So at some point we will discuss, we've talked about discussing it before. We will discuss in the future. It's just not going to happen now. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think y'all are prepared for a four hour podcast. (laughs) 